it is Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and the Empowerment Zone is delighted to feature Dr. Crystal Kwok and her documentary film, Blurring the Color Line, Chinese in the Segregated South. This film was a part of Dr. Kwok's doctorate dissertation at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. In fact, Dr. Kwok had just defended her dissertation the day before this interview. Congratulations, Dr. Kwok for your achievement. I am so happy for and proud of you. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone with Ramona Houston, where we zone in on black and brown relations and our journey to empowering our communities. The documentary film, Blurring the Color Line, examines the complex historical relationship between the African-American and Chinese-American communities in Augusta, Georgia. I saw the film at the Carter Center a couple of months ago, and it is quite amazing. The film explores all types of social challenges through the lens of African-American and Chinese relations, racism, colorism, classism, the economic exploitation of the African-American community, how families perpetuate racial bias, sexism, anti-Blackness in the Chinese community, segregation, intersectionality, anti-miscegenation, just to name a few. According to Dr. Kwok, underlying and driving all of these social issues is the invisible yet powerful force of white supremacy. I am proud to announce that the film will premiere on the World Channel on PBS streaming platforms this month on May 25th. Mark your calendars. I expect that the film and the discussions that follow will make an incredible impact in our society in the area of race relations. Dr. Crystal Kwok is a transnational award-winning filmmaker who established her career in Hong Kong as an actress, writer, director, and talk show host. Her documentary film has already won multiple awards, including the Myra Nair Rising Female Filmmaker Award at the Harlem International Film Festival and the Courage Award at the Disorient Film Festival. Enjoy our conversation and see notes, show notes for more information about Dr. Falk and this incredible documentary film. So I am so excited today. We have actress, writer, director, talk show host, and now filmmaker Crystal Kwok with us today. Uh, she has a new documentary called Blurring the Color Line, Chinese in the Segregated South. And I was one of those who were fortunate enough to see it in Atlanta when it was um, there was a screening and panel discussion at the Carter Center a few weeks ago. But um, Crystal is on a mission to really um, change the way we discuss race relations and the way we approach race relations in the United States through her work. And by the way, 
Crystal just defended her dissertation yesterday. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I don't know how I got it to do this. I can breathe. <laughs> but welcome, Crystal. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone. Thank you, Ramona. Thank you, Dr. Houston. I mean, this is just a privileged space for me to be able to share my work because I know you get it from an educator point of view and just, um, you know, it's just such a delight to be able to talk about your work in a way that's appreciated on multiple levels, you know? Well, I must say Dr. Kwok. How many times <laughs> do you call that? I am not used to that. <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah congratulations on defending thank your dissertation. You. And thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Uh, when I saw the film, I was all I could think about was my research in African-American and Mexican-American history and mm. the relationship between our two, co two communities. And you brought out so many issues that are uh, very similar, that are very similar to my research. So can you tell us, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you evolved? What was your journey to actually deciding to, I mean, how do you go from actress to PhD? I'm, I'm just wondering. <laughs> and what was, and, and tell us about your acting career. Let's just, let's just start. Where you know, start. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's, it's a funny one because you know, like when I teach classes uh, in women in film, you know, I usually sometimes I start with the students, you know, what the, what a fun fact is of, of people in the room, and and my fun fact is uh, I used to work with Jackie Chan, and all of a sudden they're like, they they light up, they're like, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? And uh, so yeah, you know, I I spent a good chunk of time of my actually I established my career in Hong Kong so long story short is I moved to Hong Kong actually not even completing my undergrad at the time I had an opportunity to enter the film industry there as an actress and so I did do my two film first two films with Jackie Chan um, and I just decided to stay and it it morphed into my whole a career of finding my voice as a an outspoken Asian American woman in a society that was very predominantly male chauvinistic and patriarchal, which is something, you know, coming from an American kind of perspective of, oh, I can do everything kind of attitude. Um, and then you go and you throw yourself into a place where women have a position to be played. Um, it really opened up my eyes to a lot of perspective. Um, it, it compelled me to create my own stories, um, my own uh, platform. So I did, you know, I created talk shows myself, um, podcasts, yeah, radio, TV interview situations that just tackled these hard topics of um, the sensitive topics of sexuality, um, taboo issues around the body, uh, and, and mostly things that people are curious about or fascinated or just normal daily dealings with our bodies that people, especially in more conservative places, don't dare talk about publicly. And so I ex I'm exposing or putting out these uh sensitive issues that everybody wanted to talk about and it just became quite almost controversial actually yes very controversial at the time and and I guess it gave me my name and um from there after finding my voice I just uh I, I directed a feature film in Hong Kong about a mistress actually because of the world I saw and um Everything that I've done since then has been really kind of situated from a strong woman's perspective and kind of uh, questioning 
the the way we interact with societies um, from a very multicultural perspective, because I don't want to limit myself as an Asian American just because I grew up in San Francisco. My dad's from Hong Kong and I'm transnational. I believe that stories should transcend um, the place that we are from. Um, you know, they apply to many different cultures. So to your point about, you know, focusing on bicultural issues, uh, I am much, so much um, about that. And I feel like there's just not enough women's voices out there to challenge the status quo or the dominant narratives. And I feel like that's kind of my um, call, calling. What an incredible experience. First of all, to even be able to work with Jackie Chan, like Jackie Chan is <laughs> one, of my, one, of, one really? of my favorites of our family. You know, we, we grew up watching, um, they used to have Saturday Kung Fu when I was young. Yes, I remember um, that. Sure. <laughs> And I have this picture I just posted on um, Facebook with my cousins, male and female. They were like between the ages of four and eight and everybody yeah. had off their shirt and they were uh, acting <laughs> like they were doing all these, um, looking like they were doing uh, fighting. But to go right. from there to actually, as you're in the process of being an actress and seeing the issues that women are fa facing in terms yeah. of the industry, and going from there to say, hey, if I can't get the opportunity, I create my own opportunities and create yep. platforms where I can do my work and talk about issues that are not talked about and or, and conversations that are not led by women. Right. And let me just give you a very it's kind of a simple example of what startled me when I was there. Um, you know, so on a film set, you know, you have these um, things all around like camera boxes and, and whatnot. And I learned very early on that women were not allowed to sit on camera boxes. Hmm. Why? Because they feel like in the case, if the, if, if the chance of you having your menstruation at the time, that would cast a curse on the film. Like it was the bad luck thing. So women were not allowed to sit on camera boxes. I was like, wow. And so it really opened up my a, a whole... It, it's not just the the myths behind it, but the deeply rooted traditional cultures and 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 attitudes that women carry that may impact something. And it's just you know, so these are the little examples that struck me that that reinforce the way things are still are in many many societies, right? Um, and what our roles, what what the impact, what what is what is it? Why are we a threat? You know, um, it, it's really incredible, and I feel like there's just so much to say about women's bodies in these places. So, in your process of having these conversations on these various platforms, what what what, what was it that you that was most interesting that you discovered from these conversations? I learned very quickly to challenge things. And maybe that's just because of my personality. I'm always questioning things, but um, I had a, so my first film with Jackie Chan, going back to that, um, this is a good example because um, they, I, I played the role of, of his, it was one of the few films where he actually played like some lawyer role, which is kind of weird, but I was his legal assistant and they dressed me like um, I was some kind of a, tart from some you know some some nightclub short skirt permed hair I know it was like long time ago it was the 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 nine, early 90s look or whatever but um yeah I, I I questioned I said hey this does not look like um 
what my role calls for. I'm not comfortable wearing my high heels and, and mini skirt playing this role. And I said that to him and he's like, oh, okay. Like he didn't really know what to do with me. Like who is this outspoken um, overseas girl who can't even speak fluent Chinese at the time um, questioning and challenging what I'm supposed to do. Um, and so he brought me in to the producer. We had a meeting and I'll never forget that meeting. And they really didn't know what to do with me. They were stumped. And so I think um, Jackie Chan was tickled by it. And um, he said, yeah, okay, so let's do something about it. And so the next day of filming, literally, it was so funny. I got a pair of glasses. I got a briefcase, I got a long skirt. <laughs> and and, and it, just, it just showed that if you don't ask, you don't get. Right. And most people are not encouraged to question or challenge systems, mm -hmm. or maybe they do in the States and maybe they don't in Asia. I don't want to oversimplify that. Right. But I think that a lot of times we're so afraid to voice and to ask. And it just these these moments like these validate that. And it just kind of empowered me to kind of keep going with just really getting comfortable with your space and, and knowing how to access things for yourself and knowing what's right or wrong for yourself. I think they're so important. Yeah. And speaking of empowerment, you know, this film that you just created, this documentary film and asking questions, like you're saying, and challenging, mm -hmm. that's what this film is all about. Again, yeah. it's blurring the color line Chinese in the segregated South. First of all, how did this film, how did you begin how did you decide to make this film? First of all, like what, yeah. what was your process? What was your journey? And then tell us about the film. Um, and I've seen it, but you know, tell. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. I love it because so um, going back to my Hong Kong world is I left Hong Kong with my family in 2014. Um, and then we moved to Hawaii where I still live now. Um, you know, coming back to U.S. soil and um, not really having any roots here in Hawaii made me question my position and, um, and, and, and efforts to continue creating new content and stories. Um, so all along, I've always been wanting to do a story about my grandmother. My grandmother and I were very close. Um, she would tell me stories about her growing up in the South, um, Augusta specifically, and um, not really... Georgia. Augusta, sorry, yes, Augusta, Georgia. And that was the 1930s um, during Jim Crow, which I honestly did not know much about. You know, you don't learn much in history classes, as you know, <laughs> and it's very oversimplified. And so I, again, to the questioning is like, okay, so we know this, this, this troubling Black history in the South, but where the Chinese sit in this conversation. Nobody talks about that. So I used to ask her like, where did you sit on the bus if you sat on the bus? Um, which fountain did you drink from? And so all these questions started kind of like boiling up to, okay, well, this is something. So I intentionally wanted to, well, originally do a story around my grandmother and her sisters during this time when they were very self-isolating from a very traditional Chinese family in the heart of the black neighborhood of Augusta, Georgia. Um, but then, as you know, things, stories tick shape because of the larger powers around you, right? Um, and in the five-year process of making this film, you know, it started from a simple women's story, uh, you know, centering around Chinese women's voices um, to, to, to address these race relations issues into something much more um, 
you know, tackling uh, the the racial uh, situation we have today because Black Lives Matter happened, um, and and I shifted my whole story around addressing anti-blackness, um, and then it morphed again because not long after that the uh, Atlanta shootings happened, the, the 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 massacre against Asian women, and so was, all these things were so troubling to me, and they were, fell on my plate, and I felt a responsibility to speak to these large large troubling movements. So how does a story about a Chinese woman in the segregated South during Jim Crow speak to African-American history, um, Chinese immigrant history, and these larger forces that are reinforcing actually um, the orientalization of female, uh, Asian female bodies, plus the anti-Blackness that the Chinese in my family that I have seen, um, how do we address these uncomfortable conversations? So I know that's a whole kind of mouthful of stuff I wanted to put in, but that was the way I work. I loved to entangle women's stories with racial history, with um, the ideas of memory and history, that kind of like ambiguous space. And um, there are so many layers. I, I, you know, I can go on and on about this because I feel like that that's that's my feminist lens. It's like throwing so many layers in and thus blurring the color line because we're talking about not one thing, but multiple things at the same time. Wow. And you did it, uh, as I stated at the at the screening uh, during the Q&A uh, period, you did an excellent job of uh-huh. just talking about how complicated that story is. First of all, when you tell history, it's very difficult to tell history in a way that people can relate to it. And you did it through these stories of uh, of these women in your family, which I thought right. was a great idea, but you covered so many t- topics, you know, um, and, <clears throat> you know, you looked at uh, anti-Blackness, you know, the exploitation of Black communities, um, looking at um, the relationships between different cultures and communities. You talked about racism, sexism, mm-hmm. um, people who are, uh, an- uh, the, the whole issue of being anti-immigrant. It was so many xenophobia, yeah. so many things in there that you tied up it, 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 and it is complicated, but you did it in such, such an interesting way in the way you told the story. And I must admit, uh, Dr. Kwok, um, we're going in, I was like, I, I, you know, when I saw the title, I had to go, right? And okay. even though it was a Saturday, right? We all were. This <laughs> is a beautiful day that day, I know. <laughs> and so I went kind of thinking, you know, I had my reservations, like, are they really going to tell the truth? You know, are they mm-hmm. really, uh, are, when they, meaning the filmmakers, are they yeah. really going to deal with anti-Blackness within the the, the Asian the Asian and Chinese? Yeah. Are really we really going to talk about the economic exploitation? Are we going to really deal with all the issues uh, that are in the community? You did a great job. Thank you. You know what's interesting is you know in my time in sharing, having the opportunity to share the film and have discussions like that, the one at the Carter Center, um, I found that. It was much more well received uh, by the black community than the Asian community in a sense that I guess when it comes to talking about anti-blackness within the Chinese community specifically, it it touches a sore 
point and nobody wants to go there. You know, when I started doing my, um, when I embarked on this journey and I kind of tried to respect the communities and showing little short show reels to kind of get feedback of what they were thinking I was doing with this work, um, the Chinese community really kind of gave the pushback there. Uh, and I, I'll never forget that there was this one older Chinese gentleman who's like blatantly said, I, I got the story angle wrong. You know, he actually said you, you shouldn't be, this is, you know, I think he was thinking like, why are you talking about women? Well, you should be talking about the success stories about how we've impacted society. And that that's exactly what the problem is. We keep re reinforcing these narratives that we want to show people and we don't expose the other things because people say, oh, that's not something we talk about. Well, why? You don't want to talk about it because it's shameful, because you know it makes you look bad or because we're afraid to open up this vulnerable space to to just talk about our position in this kind of very you know white centered society and how we fit in and how we played our roles i mean nobody wants to talk about it we just we just push it aside and say oh yeah look at those good asian citizens yeah they're the ones who work hard they're the ones who will get educated and what is that saying you know that that's very revealing of of not just our position but of um, how society looks at us and how we think we should be seen at, by society. And it's, it's it's very problematic that we don't incorporate uh, the connective histories for better or for worse, right? There are great stories and there are also negative issues, of course. Well, you know, I do a lot of uh, speaking in workshops on American race relations, and I don't mm -hmm. care who you're talking to. Topics on race are difficult to have. Yeah. And and a lot of times, like you stated, we don't want to expose yeah. the, to others what we actually think about different communities. You know, those are things that you say behind closed doors. You know, right. this, I don't want to sh show how I really feel or what I really think, no matter who you are. Yeah. And so by bringing all of that out, it is uncomfortable but the yeah. only way we can correct things as a society is that we have to be able to face it and have those conversations. I know in my own uh, my own family uh, and wider African American community, I have I there are times when I need to say, "Hey, this challenge some of the thoughts that people." Yeah. Have. But the only way we can do it is we actually have to face it, and I okay. totally understand about that that um member of the community who was saying hey we we don't we want to show a certain face to the public we don't want yeah to show yeah know? yeah and i think they truly believe it to some extent that you know we worked so hard to get to where we are we did it for the younger generation blah 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 yes i completely respect that and we all have those stories but at the same time what is that saying you know then it becomes the um oppression olympics right we're all it's a comparative thing um whose 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 life was worse and you you can't once you start going there then you can't talk about it because then it's it the focus is on on that competition of of you know oppression so you know from um, this film, uh, you're you're showing it throughout the country, um, and you also um, have a debut, which we'll talk about later on TV. Yeah. But what do you, as a filmmaker, what do you want to accomplish 
uh, through this film? What are you seeking to accomplish? You know, in a physical space, I like to just use that um, because you, in, in when you envision people from different communities coming together in the same space to be able to talk about something and to really hear each other's stories, you know, it sounds simple, but it's actually quite difficult. Um, the way we are structured in our lives Society's built us in our own little categories, our little kind of safe spaces, right? You look at everything from government forms where you check the boxes for gender or ethnicity. It's always categories, even in film festivals or, or institutions, education spaces. Why is it Asian studies and African-American studies? Why is there not a blending of the two? Why is there not a recognition, a deeper recognition of the mixed spaces and cross-pollination that has been going on for Ever. Um, and so for me, going back to my concept of blurring is to do that, is to disrupt these binary spaces and to bring together people to recognize the beauty of bringing it together. And despite all the discomfort, to be able to address issues that we normally reinforce these certain kind of narratives within our own safe space, but to open it up and, and, and to learn each other's histories. I think those are really, really important things we need to do going forward now that particularly things are trying to control and pull back our histories and what we learn, right? Right, 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 right. And so we definitely need to have those types of conversations. So what do you want people to get out of this film once they watch it? What, what, what do you want them to do? You know, I think it starts with a simple conversation at home. Like if, if somebody reflects and it makes them think about or or makes them question something and they go back and they want to talk to their family or their close friends about this, it's already shifting something or someone. It, it, it's so hard to say, oh, well, I want the, you know, the world to change the ideas and dismantle racism, you know. <laughs> It's, it's um, how do we do that? It, it's through individuals. It's through these small community um, gatherings and and intimate spaces that ref that that allow the space to reflect and to converse. Um, while at the same time, of course, there are the larger institutional movements and policy making that that need to work with it. But you know, uh, for me personally, um, I I feel it. You know, that just moving people to when I know I, I can feel it after a screening, when people want to come up to me and share their stories and it had nothing to do with the histories that I had uh, shared in my film, I know that there is some form of success already because this spoke to them, even though they're not from the South, they're not Chinese, they're not, you know, whatever it is, um, that's what it is. It, it, it's this connectivity of resonating and understanding and, and, and making people excited to share their stories so that we open up a deeper dialogue about um, these complicated race relations because of the structures that built these, you know, spaces to begin with. So, of course, we have to know where we can see this film. So where are you showing it? How can our audience actually view the film? Um, where can we get access? Well, I'm very excited that it will be premiering on the World Channel under the American Reframed uh, series. Uh, the launch date is May 11th, and that is to kick off the AAPI 
Heritage Month uh, in that series, and it will be available on all PBS platforms, and I think it includes the YouTube and all the other ones. But I have to say that that is a cut-down version. So what you saw at the um, screening was the full version, and I had to cut down from 77 minutes to 53-minute cut. So if you can imagine, a a lot of the nuanced stories might be missing there. And so I'm hoping that my original version will be accessible through uh, education distribution, you know, going through the um, different platforms. And so I would suggest people to come on my website to just look for um, the options. And that is www.blurringthecolorline.com. Love it. So tell me, uh, after they watch this film, what do you want audiences to do? Give us some action uh, steps because, you know, Mm. One of the things that we're big on on the empowerment zone is not just learning. You know, education is important, but action is even more uh, more important. So, what do you what do you want us to do after we watch this film? Talk about it. You know, it it sounds simple enough, but like I said earlier, you know, if you over a dinner conversation open up this conversation and and, and talk about that, you know. especially intergenerational, I want to say that that is the harder nut to crack, is older way of thinking. How do we get our parents and grandparents to rethink what has built their attitudes that that, that contribute to anti-Blackness or any other forms of racism? And it's so... It's a sensitive one, but I think it's, it's possible. And it takes people willing to just bring it out. And I had brought it out through sometimes humorous stories, sometimes, you know, through little nuggets of, of, of stories of going out and sneaking out and going on secret dates. I think the the intimate histories is the way in. I think that if we have the chance to ask and, and not interrogate, but to ask our parents and grandparents about their stories being young and youthful and 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 fearless and wanting to do things that broke boundaries and then applying that to our kind of race relations, we might open up a lot more information and they might be open to talk about it and reflect of why we do things against rules. And through that, maybe it might soften up people to talk about why we need to kind of break down boundaries. So I would say breaking barriers is always kind of a key word in my mind. And so how do we do that through these intimate conversations about our intimate histories? So Dr. Kwok, here on the Empowerment Zone, we are all about the empowerment of uh, young people, particularly those who are going to college, and we want to give them strategies for college success. So could you tell us what school or schools did you attend, your major and or majors, and your degrees, and what strategy would you give students to ensure that they're successful in college? Okay, so I did my undergrad at UCLA in theater, Uh, And then I moved to Hong Kong and then I did my master's degree in comparative literature, where that's kind of what embarked me on the creation of my feature film at the time. And then coming back to Hawaii, I went to the University of Hawaii and did my just completed my doctorate in performance studies, which is taking a performative lens on a lot of social issues, which is technically under the theater department. But I would say performance studies is something that's new um, and, and exciting. And it's a very interesting lens on on 
everything. So in terms of success in education, I first want to say that the world of education is shifting. The, the, the definition of success is shifting, and we need to acknowledge that. So I don't necessarily think that higher education is for everyone. The fact that you don't do it does not mean that you're a failure, that success comes in your own terms, and that you can't, you know, the system and the institution is still built and controlled by old white men. And that says a lot. And, and so we need to find our own ways to find our voices and to access um, information and education that's going to serve us and not the system. And I think that um, it's ironic because I, you know, completed my doctorate where at the same time, my kids, I am not in expecting them to have higher education to be successful. I don't want to put that pressure on them today. I think things have broken in a way that's shifting and we need to redefine what it means to succeed. And so success is in education is how we learn and questioning what it means to learn. And I think those are the first formative questions um, in order to get to how to grasp the material that we think we need that's going to serve us to move and shift and change the world, if that makes sense. I love this <laughs> that, you know, my, my cousin once told me that uh, uh, college isn't for everyone. He didn't, he went to college for one semester and he dropped out. And at first I was like kind of floored by the fact yeah. that he said that. But then, you know, later on in life, I totally agree with you that education is not necessarily, I mean, higher education college is not necessarily for everyone, but not only that, we have to define success for ourselves, that that's, yep. that's an individual choice. And if we choose to make other decisions based on where we want to go in life, and it does not include college, then that's okay, because we yeah. define what success is for it for us. And it's so ironic. Right. Because you just defended your dissertation. I know. <laughs> but you know what? Contradiction is balance. That's another <laughs> motto of mine. I love, you know, you just, yeah, just do it. <laughs> you own what you do, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much for that great advice. Thank you. Thank you for the space. A special thank you to the incredible team of the Empowerment Zone. Terry Gully, theme song. NADWORKS, digital support, and of course, our featured guest, 